welcome to Pharmacy View podcast, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key people within the Australian pharmacy and associated industry. In this stream of podcast episodes, we discuss aspects of technology or business operation and how each area interacts with guest current role or pharmacy-related business. I'm your host, Scott Carpenter, and my guest today is proudly brought to you by Shopfront Solutions for all your digital shelf and marketing needs, part of the Arian Technologies Group. G'day, everybody, and it's great to have you listening to us today, and I'd like to, with a lot of excitement, take this opportunity to introduce to you a pharmacist that uh, I've got to know for quite a few years who is joining the Pharmacy View podcast team. So welcome, Michael Alec, pharmacist, Michael Alexander. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. And um, I'm going to take this opportunity, since I'm a newbie, to turn the spotlight on you and ask you a few questions, if you don't mind. Uh, no problems with that at all. Let's uh, be interested to see how we go with this. And again, hopefully the podcast editors can uh, make sure that I don't waffle on for too long. Yeah, well, they may have a lot of work to do, but we'll, we'll see how we go. Uh, let me start by asking you a little bit about your own background, you know, how you came to have such a long and, and dare I say, distinguished career in the retail pharmacy industry. Thanks, um, Michael. I will try and keep the 40-year-plus um, career history as short as I possibly can, but it is a little bit of an interesting story, and I'm, I'm happy to uh, kind of share as to how I got to where I am today. But uh, reality is, um, and some people are aware of this, but many probably not, I'm actually a furniture maker by trade training interestingly enough. And I guess when you've had over 40 years of a career history, there's a whole lot of things that have happened in that time to get to where I am today. Um, in terms of where I am today, uh, and, I'll, and I'll jump back to fill in the middle sections in a minute, but uh, I'm semi-retired these days after having a very, uh, what I would like to think, successful career in pharmacy, amongst other things. And when I say semi-retired, I spend as much time as I can um, health and fitness, um, hiking the Victorian high country these days, or as much as I can. Um, I obviously spend a little bit of time um, with this podcast uh, and really enjoy that in terms of staying affiliated with the pharmacy industry. I still do provide some consulting um, into the pharmacy industry, both with individual pharmacists, uh, some pharmacy groups, and some pharmacy head offices from an operations, uh, business financials, uh, marketing perspective. So that's all kind of going on. But more excitingly, I think for me uh, personally, is that um, through what I call the unprecedented years recently, um, an opportunity came up. And again, having, a, a, I guess, a, a trade background in somewhat building and construction, um, uh, I have currently do quite a bit of work for elderly couples um, in my local area. And what I mean by that is that uh, these elderly couples uh, are quite scared, would be the right word, about going into aged care facilities at the moment because during that uh, two years of COVID, you know, they were the places you didn't want to be. So whereas previously you might have sold your home um, and moved into a, a, a village or a facility, um, elderly couples in my area anyway don't want to do that anymore. And so a few of them reached out to me and um, I, on a part-time basis, do what's called custom property maintenance. And, and what that means is that... Um, where the uh, the couple aren't able to do and look after their property anymore, I might go in one day a month um, for, for quite a few elderly couples and actually just help them maintain their property, uh, handrails for mobility, ramps, could be changing light globes, it could be changing smoke detector batteries. And uh, to be honest with you, I actually get a lot of kick out of that because I, I like helping people as well from that perspective. Um, in addition to that, uh, I think it's important I talk about my two sons. Um, 
and one is actually a tech head. So he's a senior developer, senior tech developer with uh, REA being Real Estate Australia. Uh, he and I would talk every week. And uh, what do we talk about? Um, I'll call it career and leadership coaching is what I give him because he's well and truly into the corporate world, a place that I've spent many, many years. And and we would talk often about um, his experiences, his times, his own development from that perspective. Um, I have another son who is actually a registered master builder Victoria, um, maybe somewhat lived the life that I didn't get to live. Um, and uh, so occasionally I get called off the bench to go and help him um, build houses, uh, which again, I, I don't mind that as well, because I'm certainly in my current uh, years uh, doing everything I can in terms of my health and my fitness uh, for somewhat uh, longevity from that perspective. Now, if I try and fill in between the two, uh, trained as a cabinet maker, furniture maker, to uh, spend quite a few years in the pharmacy industry. Well, I, I came out of my trade training in the 80s, and for anyone that might be old enough to remember that, there was a building recession on at that point in time and uh, couldn't get a full-time job in the building construction industry for love nor money. And uh, I'd been working part-time at my local Woolies, and uh, they actually offered me a management traineeship, which I took um, more probably pressured from my parents at the time to do something. And... Uh, uh, well, so I won't say necessarily the rest is history, but I guess I spent the next 20 years in what I'll call fast-moving consumer goods, uh, management training, financial training, business training, even down to profit and loss, um, cash flow training across those arenas uh, for Woolworths. Uh, I spent quite a bit, a few years also with Coles Meyer Target, and towards the end of that time, I actually spent quite a few years with the Mitre 10 organisation. Um, so that's, I guess, given me my introduction then to independent business uh, uh, operations and there came a day uh, where you know, most people would know that you know Bunnings took over Australia in terms of the hardware industry and uh, I wouldn't necessarily say I saw writing on the wall but I guess I kind of came to the conclusion that in terms of what independent hardware looked like it was going to change significantly and maybe I had a good run and what else was out there. And I applied for another job with a, another international organisation. Uh, I came down to being one of two final candidates through a recruitment company. And the recruitment company rang me one day and they said, look, um, uh, probably not the answer that you wanted to hear. You haven't got this job, but if it's any consolation, the other person didn't get it either. Uh, the, the international company has decided to bring someone into Australia from their American operation. Now, interestingly enough... That organisation actually doesn't exist anywhere in the world today. It's a brand that disappeared in the last 20 years. But from that interaction, uh, the recruitment company came to me and said, look, um, have you ever thought about a career in pharmacy? And I said, I, exactly, I kind of laughed a bit like that. And I said, well, actually, no, I can't say that I have, but why would you ask? And they said, well, interestingly enough, we've got a pharmacy group based in South Australia that are looking for a retailer, um, someone with business management, someone with people leadership, uh, to actually help them expand their their business. And so that was my introduction and foray into Pharmacy Australia over 20 years ago with the National Pharmacies Group based in South Australia. And uh, I remember meeting the then CEO Managing Director, Jim Howard, and uh, and Tina Hudson, the uh, General Manager of HR. And I was, I'm generally quite honest with people. And, and I said to them, look, I have to be honest with you. I don't know a lot about pharmacy I don't visit the doctor that often. I don't get a script filled that often. So I, I know they're there. I know they're existing. And I don't want to be something that you think that I am. 
And interestingly enough, their response to me was, that's okay. We're not looking for someone from with pharmacy experience. We're looking for someone with retail business experience because we need that in terms of what we need to do to grow and develop our business. We'll teach you pharmacy. Our pharmacists will teach you pharmacy. And I have to say that first eight years with natural pharmacies, uh, which some of you would be aware of, uh, is a friendly society model where the pharmacies are owned by the, the friendly society. So they are fully managed pharmacies. And uh, there was quite an introduction to me from having to actually interact and manage pharmacists because I'd never done that in my time. I went on a very, very steep and fast learning curve. Uh, I met some magnificent people um, through through that time and through, through the entire 20 years in pharmacy. And even today, I'm meeting um, great people as well. But to a point, um, none of them ostracized me. None of them looked down at me. Most of them actually helped and coached and guided me. And so to a point today, my understanding of the pharmacy industry is not what I brought to the table at that time, but actually what pharmacists and pharmacy industry people have have shown and coached me on over 20 years. So I guess that's where I've been. After National Pharmacies, I spent a, a period of time with Terry White Chemist, which is where you and I met, Michael. And uh, when that time came to an end, I spent quite a few years then with the Pharmacy Alliance group as well. And again, uh, all of them have given me great interaction across the pharmacy industry in every state of Australia. And uh, there would be people maybe listening today that, uh, you know, wondering where I was. Well, this is this is where I am today. Um, not necessarily in the latter part of my career, but having had a, a great career just on a, on a slightly different tangent. So uh, so that's me, Michael, as, as short as I could possibly make 40 plus years. I mean, it's really fascinating. And I actually want to ask you a follow-up question, if you don't mind. You've worn so many hats, right? Builder, uh, pharmacy, you know, consultant, podcaster, dad. Uh, is there a secret to being good at lots of different things in your mind? Or are you just kind of taking it as it comes? Uh, no, I think um, for people that know me intimately, um, I have a brain that doesn't easily stop. And and what I mean by that is that, and again, I, some people might be able to relate to this. Um, some people may not, but um, I drive my wife crazy because I cannot sit still uh, would be, you know, and, and where I could and should be probably kind of sitting down and, and maybe doing nothing at the moment. Um, the fact that I'm actually doing five or six or seven things at the one time um, uh, dr- drive some people crazy. So, so I guess to a point, it's it's the way I'm wired, uh, Michael. Uh, as I said, I, I think people need to be careful with that because not everyone is wired like that. Um, I uh, on several occasions uh, did the personality testing that maybe quite a few of us have done, and depending on the mood on the day and 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 how mischievous I wanted to be, I could be an extrovert, I could be an introvert. But I think the reality is that I probably sit like quite a few people somewhere in between. There are days when I go into myself and just ponder. There's days where I actually like working on a building site with my son and just doing physical labor. Um, uh, there's days where actually I like being on a, on a site with other people and, and, and interacting with other people. So um, each to their own, to a point. Um, but I guess in, in my case, it's, it's what has made me over time. Um, I could have, to a point, fostered it. But I think it also I've just taken opportunities as they've come. Well, I mean, congratulations on your success and your son's success as well. I mean, it's a it's a varied and, and fascinating career. And you know, let's let's take advantage of that nonstop brain of yours and, and ask you another <laughs> sure. question. Right? Sure. 
So it's fair to say for what you've You've told us uh, that you've been about around the block a few times, uh, and especially in pharmacy, you've seen multiple disruptions uh, within the sector throughout the years. You know, I myself can remember when I was working as a pharmacist, the launch of generic medications and the rise of the discounters and price disclosure as sort of the three big industry earthquakes uh, during the time when I was practicing. So how have successful pharmacies, in your opinion, weathered those past disruptions? What strategies have they implemented to remain competitive and financially viable? Do you see a theme? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a couple, I guess, that stand out for me that we're, we're no doubt going to talk about in this next period of time. Um, I'm going to wrap it up under the term adaptability. Now, this, I have to say, is not unique to the pharmacy industry. And uh, I've been, and I, and I also need to be very careful at the moment because, look, right today here in Australia, um, the Australian pharmacy industry is going through a change process that I'm pretty sure is one of the most significant, both operationally and financially, um, that I can recall. The, the, the change to 60-day dispensing um, is, has, is or is disrupting the pharmacy industry. There's no doubt about that. Now, there's a lot of discussion around the financial impact on this, the, the ability to provide quality health care um, to clients, customers and patients. And I'll be honest with you, I'm still reading and I'm still digesting what it looks like. Now, is it fair to say that the pharmacy industry will survive? Uh, I think yes is the easy answer to that. Will it look like in 12 months' time what it looks like today? Potentially, yes. Um, will there be some casualties along the way? I'm thinking, yes, there potentially will be because as with most government decisions, and I've seen this in the, the building industry as well, you know, decisions are made, I guess, for a future development of, of the economy and, and the people of the, of the land. Um, and to a point, there is some risk assessment in, in making this decision, in making this change, there will be some carnage, there will be some um, wreckage along the way and ultimately the decision will be based on is the is the improvement or the change going to have a greater impact than the amount of carnage we're going to get and, I, and I've got to be honest with you I think that's where we're at at the moment now as I said I, I want to be really careful with this because I'm not intimately involved I'm I'm just seeing and reading and talking with pharmacists in Australia at the moment and there's a lot of emotion attached to this at the moment because if you've invested in a pharmacy in Australia, if you've got loans, if you've got um, costs of doing business, and and now you're hearing that potentially there's a $170,000 cost impost on your pharmacy here in Australia, how do you actually recover that? How do you recoup that when the bulk of your pharmacy revenue is actually provided by the government PBS program? So now coming back to your question is that the pharmacies that adapt, the pharmacies that are willing and open to change, as we've seen in the past, will survive this. The challenge will be for the pharmacy industry to be there and support the pharmacy teams that maybe will struggle in this area. And, and there will be some, Michael, again, you and I have been around enough to know that. But I think if I come back to your original question is that whether the change is small whether it's a change in a week, a change in a month, a change over a year, um, the pharmacy industry has continued to evolve for longer than I've been alive, and I dare say, therefore, longer than you've been alive, because you're younger than me. Um, 
and and it and it will. But but ultimately, ultimately, it will be the pharmacies that um, adapt and change within that. And and I'm I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like in a minute. But but that would be my overarching um, point there. Yeah, and I think adaptability is a great word for it. Uh, and I know we'll talk more about this particular issue later, but I think we can, we both know that every crisis generates new opportunities. So if you could name maybe one or two key emerging growth areas or some untapped opportunities within the Australian retail pharmacy sector, what would they be just off the top of your head? Yeah, look, uh, and again, you, you did prompt me with this question, so Marcus, and I have been pondering it for a little bit of time. Look, look I'm going to say here for anyone listening, I'm not going to sit here and say there's a magic bullet because I don't think in this instance there is. I think individual pharmacists, individual pharmacy teams um, can do things collectively. But um, again, whether it, whether it was the introduction of generics um, a couple of years ago or whether it's the current change for the 60-day prescription, there's, there's no magic bullet here. So um, what I am going to suggest is that... Um, of the 6,000 pharmacies around Australia uh, over a 20-year period and having travelled around Australia substantially, I've possibly interacted uh, inside a physical pharmacy with with more than a 1,000 of them. So so I've got a reasonably good kind of breadth of, of experience and knowledge from that perspective. In terms of individual pharmacists and pharmacy teams, I've probably interacted uh, at conferences, APPs, uh, um, with, with you know, over 50% of the Australian pharmacy arena. Um, and still fairly well known from that perspective. If I had to say a pharmacy that stands out above all of that would be pharmacies that specialise in a particular area. And, and I might be going to be a little bit controversial here because the reality is pharmacy is heavily dictated to by obviously the government PBS uh, revenue program, healthcare program. Um, but it's also heavily dictated to by the supply chain as well. And, and at the end of the day here in Australia, you get your stock that you can get, basically. And, and unless you want to actually start importing your own product, which uh, you know, a few pharmacists over time have done, um, you, you've got two fairly substantial parameters that, that you've got to operate within. Now, if you take that as the, as the base of the core platform or program, which is uh, dispensing and, uh, and pharmacy-only medicines example being then what else can you do? And I think um, rather than give you a magic bullet, what I'm going to suggest to you is that the successful pharmacies that I've seen are the ones that don't try to be everything to everyone. So um, if you're part of a brand, if you're part of a group, if and I, and I don't necessarily mean being part of a group, it, it may not be a national group, it might be just your own group of pharmacies, you might be a group of four or five, okay? Um if you wanted to ask me who was a successful pharmacy, then I would suggest it's the ones that specialize in a particular area and do it really, really well. And, and I want to throw another, I guess, um, scenario at you is that, you know, we go to a, an APP conference, which you and I are going to talk a bit later on, and we hear a lot of great information. We, we hear a lot of great ideas. And too many times I've, you know, caught up with a pharmacist or a pharmacy team after, say, an APP conference and said, okay, what did you get out of it? What have you done? And you know, it came to the point where people said, look, I really like this idea and I've come back and I've got one of my um, team members um, all pumped up and, and they're going to take that one over and they're going to run that for me. And my immediate response would be, okay, that's a great option, 
but where are you on that? Oh, I don't have to do anything with it now because this person's going to look after it for me. Well, ultimately, Michael, that does not work because that person didn't get the motivation. They didn't get the excitement speech. They've all of a sudden now been given another job to do and and it doesn't necessarily work, as you said, unless unless they've been involved in the in the journey on the way through. So um, don't try to be everything to everyone. Don't um, spread yourself too thin. But more importantly, don't jump into groupthink where an idea might be good, but you're not really passionate about it. Because if you're not passionate about it, if you're not motivated in your own right, and if you're not motivated to motivate the team in your own right, then as we know, there's a lot of um, great business examples out there that things work, but a lot of business examples out there that things don't work because, again, you've got to have that passion. And I think also I heard this on quite a few of our podcast guests um, over the you know, the last two years is that um, quite a few of our guests have said that um, they've got to where they are today because they've had some failures in some of their ideas as well. So I hope I haven't kind of gone too far off track, but if I bring that back to a point, Michael, it's that be the pharmacist that you are. Look after your patients and healthcare and their healthcare that you and your team do. Do that within the parameters that is the PBS and the supply chain from the wholesalers and the suppliers. But if you're going to do anything outside of that, only do the things that you can be passionate about and that you can actually deliver on. Now, if I give you a reciprocal answer to that, again, I said no magic bullet. Too many pharmacies I visited have leased you know retail premises with this great front of shop option and many of them that i would walk into and visit these front of shops are empty there's nothing there and i ask myself well why why you're paying rent on these now i can kind of throw some numbers at you i'm not sure if the numbers are the same where you are in the states but you know on on average a dispensary to front of shop ratio here in australia would be anywhere between as an average would be anywhere between 70% dispensary 30% front of shop if it's a smaller model, it's probably 80 or 90% dispensary, 10 to 20% front of shop. If you're one of the big brands and the discounting brands, it's possibly more 50-50 and, and maybe even, um, I, I'm not 100% sure what the current price line ratio is, but, but you know, your price lines are predominantly front of shop with the dispensary um, at the back. So again, they could be the reciprocal of that. But if you're an average pharmacy and you're doing 70% dispensary and 30% front of shop, and you've got this big retail presence at the front, which is not full of stock, then that's not specialization. That's actually doing the wrong thing. And to a point, a magic bullet might be is that you condense back your front of shop, find a local barista and put a coffee shop in the front of your your pharmacy. Now, that's not a magic bullet, but that's an example that I'm giving you is that don't pay you know, premium rental space rental on a front of shop that you're actually not getting a return on when the bulk of your business is coming from that professional services area counter and dispensary. I think it's great advice and it may seem like uh, easy, easy things to do, you know, specialization, beware of group think, do what you're passionate about, look after your front shop, but very hard to actually execute and execute effectively and consistently. Mm. Agreed. So yeah, so that that'll be the main things. But again, you know, in terms of successful pharmacy models out there, in recent times, certainly in Australia, sleep apnea pharmacies that have, have fo- focused and specialised on sleep sleep apnea. Again, not just put the display units on the wall and and waited for people to come. Have actually gone out and developed relationships with specialist doctors around sleep apnea. Um, I 
we'll speak specifically here in Victoria. The, the Victorian government um, gave some pharmacies the opportunity to be um, super pharmacies where they trade 24 hours. Um, I think that's a specialisation, and I've certainly spoken to a couple of them where, yes, um, they get government subsidy for trading the 24 hours, but one of the greatest things that came from my feedback from them was that they would get customers at 2 o'clock in the morning because mum needs some medicine for the child, and they would then see that mum during the week later on. So to me, that's a specialisation because that pharmacy was there to help that that lady when it was absolutely needed, and they've now become loyal to that pharmacy. So so the pharmacy has grown um, exponentially as a result of that. Um, I, there's a couple of um, discount models at the moment. Uh, here in uh, my, my local um, town suburb where I live, uh, uh, pharmacies recently changed from, I'll call it just a professional brand, to a discount model. And I have to say that I actually don't mind the change because... What I saw previously was a pharmacy with a big front of shop that was always half empty. Now, with the discount model, um, they've gone to the high shelves, the high racks, the, the tickets all over the place. And, um, you know, if there's a level of excitement and retail in there for me. And generally, if, you know, when I drop a script off, which isn't that often, I, I will have a bit of a wander around the pharmacy. And I can tell you now, more often than not, I will buy something else while I'm there. Whereas in a, in a half empty front of shop, I wouldn't have. So, again, that. Pharmacy has taken a brand specialization um, as an opportunity, and I think from you know, to all indications, I think they're doing okay. Now, as I said, current situation aside, um, those pharmacies have adapted to change. They've realized that they need to do something differently um, and, and have taken an option. Oh, that's interesting. I think we'll, uh, we'll definitely touch on discount pharmacy uh, multiple times, I think, if not on this podcast, then in future podcasts, because I definitely have some thoughts on that. But I want to give you an opportunity to uh, take a breath, uh, <laughs> have a sip of water. And uh, if you want to ask me a question or two, uh, by all means, fire away. Well, I, I might, again, for our listeners, just tell a bit of a story. So um, obviously, we, we commenced this podcast uh, just on two years ago. Um, uh, because people were stuck at home or stuck in workplaces, and we wanted an opportunity um, to actually be able to bring bring to people um, guests and and information about the pharmacy industry that that could be of benefit and, and value. So, um, over the last I guess twelve months, we've brought on two other hosts, being Kavita Nadan, who you know, um, and I think this has been where the, where fate's been quite interesting, and um, and and pharmacist Chantelle Turner is about to launch. Uh, with us as well. And part of our business strategy for this podcast a year ago was to either, well, okay, COVID's not really there anymore. Do we still need to do these podcasts? Um, and if we do, then uh, you know, what do we do to actually spice it up a bit? And so part of the business strategy has been to bring in some new hosts. And um, interestingly enough, I'll, I'll often scour through the guests. I'll often scour through the, um, the, the network connections that I've got and uh, you know, one day I'm saying, well, okay, we, we probably need someone with a bit of a global expertise. And whilst you and I had known each other, um, all of a sudden you popped up on LinkedIn, um, which kind of piqued my interest a little bit. And I'm thinking maybe. And then whilst I didn't get to um, attend APP this year, um, you know, it turns out that you have an interaction with uh, Kavita and Serge uh, from Locomate. And I think, well, if that's not fate, then I'm not sure what is. So so on that basis, Michael, welcome to the uh, the podcast team. I'm looking forward uh, post this episode to listening to some uh, 
great episodes with yourself and certainly from a, a global perspective, um, the people that you'll bring to the table as well. But now to ask a question. So uh, obviously you got back to Australia this year. You attended APP. Uh, what have you found, I guess, in your time back in the States um, and coming back to APP? What's changed? What's different? What's working? What's not? Well, I'll also say before I answer that question that, um, yes, I did meet uh, Kavi and her husband, Serge, uh, through this podcast. So you may have to add matchmaker to your hey. uh, other list of uh, occupations uh, because we're now in a strategic partnership together. And But um, I think uh, that's, uh, as you said, that's fate. But um, for APP, yes, I, I attended this year as my first time in uh, almost a decade uh, going to APP. I saw, I saw a great many old friends in the industry and you know made a couple of new ones. Uh, in terms of what was different, I was struck by one big difference. More probably an evolution, I guess, than a difference. It, it seems that everyone or a big proportion of the industry is now affiliated with discounting. You know, a lot of discounters, a lot of new discounter, discount brands in the market. Uh, I didn't find that necessarily unusual. It's the way the industry has been trading for many years. Uh, but it was striking to me that it seems the industry has now decided, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. And they've gone all in on that. And it's interesting as somebody in the pharmacy industry here in the U.S. or affiliated with the pharmacy industry here, that the U.S. pharmacy industry has made exactly the opposite bet. In the U.S., it's rare to find a discounter in the same mold as a chemist warehouse. You know, retail pharmacy in, in the U.S. has focused on convenience rather than discounting for many years now. You know, that's where they've placed their bets. And almost half of all U.S. pharmacies, for example, have a drive-through. Uh, and much of their technological adoption has been geared toward greater speed of service and greater efficiency of service rather than lowering prices. Uh, so I thought that was it was interesting to see how much the two industries are sort of moving apart from each other. Uh, and I think also the new technologies that are coming into pharmacy and all healthcare, uh, and which will ultimately disrupt the industry. You know, you're talking about things like uh, artificial intelligence, you know, virtual health, precision medicine, expanded clinical services. It it seems to me that those programs can't really be deployed effectively in a discount pharmacy setting. You know, non-discounters really have an inbuilt advantage when it comes to launching these programs if they move fast enough and get to the forefront. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm, I'm going to do, you know, it's kind of uh, a big prediction you know, to uh, launch my podcast career, as they say. And I'm going to say that pharmacy in Australia is going to look a lot different in the next 10 years. We're going to start to see, I think, a reversal of this discount pharmacy wave and trend in the marketplace as these new technologies enter and disrupt the industry. Yeah, I, I what do you think about could, that? Yeah, no, I, I, I've no doubt that the industry will continue to change. Um, the question on my mind that might be also on some of our listeners' mind is, um, I, I don't really have an understanding of the revenue model for pharmacy in the states. So. Um, is is that similar to what we've got here in Oz, or is it completely different? It's similar in some fact, in some facets, and it's different in others. Uh, obviously, in Australia, it's very much uh, based on government remuneration, uh, and you know that's the basically the 
the center of the you know or the revenue streams for Australian pharmacy. In America, it's different because uh, other than sort of uh, Medicare, which is only for for seniors here, and Medicaid for sort of the disadvantaged, uh, most of the revenue is driven by um, health insurers and what we call PBMs, right, who are sort of the middleman, uh, the pharmacy benefit managers between health insurance companies and pharmacies. And I think we'll, maybe one day I'll, I'll kind of go through all that step by step because uh, it can be quite a complex system. Um, so really what that means overall is that there's a lot more push towards uh, creating new revenue streams because you can't just rely on the government uh, to, you know, remunerate the prescriptions. You have to rely on uh, benefit managers who may or may not actually uh, remunerate at, at a level or may drop uh, their levels of uh, reimbursement, uh, you know, for different medications. So that it, it's always constantly changing. So that's why you'll see pharmacies that um, have you know, huge front shops, you know, your, your Walgreens and your CVSs. So you talked about that balance between front shop and dispensary. Well, it's very much uh, 90% front shop, you know, 10% dispensary, I would say, uh, you know, that's the split because, you know, they, you know, the pharmacies have to do that. They can't rely on the dispense income because that is much more variable than in Australia. So I think that is the key driver of innovation in the, uh, in the U S market and the key difference between the two markets. Yeah. No. And, and, and I, and I, Thank you for kind of updating that. I, I suspected it was something along the lines of that, and I guess ultimately my questioning to you was more: is it was it then around that kind of that core pharmacy business here in Australia is that we're, we're dictated, as I mentioned, so heavily by the PBS and the supply chain, um, uh, and, and we are an island nation too. Uh, to a point, you're a bigger island nation, but but you know everything that we want is either going to be made here or predominantly being be brought into here. So. So ultimately, if someone doesn't want to bring it in, then we may not see access to it where, where you might have a wider access to products and from that perspective. Um, so thank you for answering that. I guess my next question then for you, which kind of will set the, the, the theme for you for your future podcast is that, well, what do you think outside of um, the two models that you looked at might also see change for the global pharmacy industry in, into the future? Because again, um, obviously interaction between countries interaction between cultures um the technology um is whilst there are still geographic borders the reality is that as human beings today we're, we're actually are part of a global society so what what do you think that looks like for the future and i guess leading into your future podcasts around global i'll tell you what it, it's a fascinating uh question about you know what does the future of global pharmacy look like so i'm going to answer that question by maybe telling a story about what a future pharmacy may look like, a future global pharmacy. So let me set the stage for you, Scott. Uh, the year is 2038. So we're 15 years in the future. All right. Uh, you are sitting down uh, in your uh, in your home watching, I suppose, would be uh, season 51 of Neighbors at this point <laughs> uh, when your smartwatch, uh, which is also, by the way, a continuous glucose monitor, that takes your blood glucose readings once every second, sounds an alert. It tells you that your glucose levels are abnormal. All right. And your watch can then sync to your electronic medical record, which is up in the cloud. All right. Your watch then uh, pings that medical record, figures out you don't have a history of diabetes. 
and it generates an AI, AI avatar, which asks you a series of diagnostic questions about how you're feeling. Uh, it knows, obviously, your blood glucose levels, and it wants to triage your issue. Do you need to see a doctor immediately or not? The AI avatar decides you need to see a doctor. So it connects you to your doctor via a telehealth platform that's also built into your smartwatch. Your doctor has access to all your vitals because it's all coming through your watch, your blood pressure, your oxygen levels, your blood glucose levels, and she can see your entire medical history. And she makes a preliminary diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. Sorry, Scott. Uh, it looks like that you may have um, early onset of diabetes. She suggests you try a short course of Ozempic and specifically, but one that's specifically modified to your unique genetic structure. She'll send that digital prescription to your local pharmacy. Uh, the pharmacist will print out your medication on a 3D printer and then does a 15-minute consult with you explaining uh, what your new medication is and how to take it, again, virtually. And then after that, your AI avatar will follow up with diet recommendations. Uh, it will schedule you for virtual consultations with a dietitian, a diabetic educator, uh, and also construct a meal plan for you and fill your virtual grocery list with necessary ingredients. So cool. then, you know, you, well, one more thing though, yeah. you haven't got your medication yet. Yeah. Your pharmacy is going to send you to Zempic via drone delivery within the next 15 minutes. Yeah. So just as your episode of Neighbors finishes and before you even get off the couch, you've got your medication. So that to me, uh, again, trying to prognosticate is kind of where we're going. I know a lot of it seems very science fiction-y, right? But most of the ingredients of all that are already available. And something like ChatGPT may have seemed like science fiction 10 years ago, right? Because, you know, what are the themes here? We're talking about, you know, the use, the use of data and interoperability, you know, your data going from your watch to your doctor to your pharmacy. You know, we're talking about AI that actually augments care rather than replacing care, right? We're talking about innovation that is centered on the patient and technology that transforms the patient experience and a virtual care team which the pharmacist is really is the crux of available 24 seven to you, you know, from the comfort of your home while you're watching neighbors. So all of this is really the future of global pharmacy and all the, those ingredients are available now. They're just, they just need to come together. They're not, they're not connected as, as much as they possibly could be. And I guess Michael, to a point to the human race maybe isn't quite ready for it either. Well, I don't know. I, it's possible, you know, it's, it's hard to to say what you're ready for until it happens. Mm. And I think the, the takeaway is, is it's going to happen. I think it's inevitable. Uh, and these types of uh, you know, disruptions happen at a rapid pace in yep. today's environment. You know, ChatGPT had 100 million users within the first month of launching. I mean, that's the world we live in now. So you know, we better get ready. And as pharmacists, as... Uh, professionals in a clinical setting, we need to start getting comfortable with these types of technologies and embracing them. And like I said, as something that augments and helps you uh, do things like um, provide care, manage chronic diseases, uh, do real-time diagnoses, get those data insights, uh, rather than something that is scary or may put you out of a job. Uh, I, I get it. And, and certainly from my um, technology interest background, all of that's made a lot of sense. To our listeners today, that might scare quite a few people because 
you know, what am I investing in today in terms of my pharmacy business? What does it look like and how quickly can it look like that? But uh, again, ultimately, Michael, um, welcome aboard. But again, it's one of the things I'm looking forward to you and your, your guests bringing to the table to listen to soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you for listening today. Pharmacy View is a technology-focused podcast provided by Melbourne-based business Arian Technologies and Shopfront Solutions. Over the podcast series, our guests include pharmacists, retail managers, wholesalers, suppliers, and industry technology partners. If you would like further information on our podcast series or to participate in one of our episodes, feel free to send me a message or touch base through the Pharmacy View website, pharmacyview.com.au.